0: I want to start uh, by uh, by telling you about the time that I took a bunch of primary school children from Tottenham to visit their local council chamber. I've been doing some community organizing, which puts a real emphasis on giving people who maybe don't always have a voice the opportunity to be empowered by speaking to those people who can make decisions, who can change their lives and talking to them about the things that really matter to them. So what could be better than taking this group of young people from estates across Tottenham to meet their councillor, to see the place where all of these decisions are made, and to voice their concerns with someone in authority, I thought. So they sat around the room, uh, and I don't know what it's like in any other council chambers, because I don't know if I've ever been in another council chamber, but they have a... They have a um, a desk, and around it, there's all these little microphones. So that when they have a a cabinet meeting, everyone's got a microphone, and they've got a light on it so you can see who's speaking. But when you press the button, the light comes on, and no one else's microphones work. Which sounds great, because the whole point is that, you know, we only allow one person to speak at a time. But these kids cottoned onto this really quickly. So when it came to the point where we could ask questions, they just kept doing this, to stop anyone else from being able to say something. And when I was like, who's doing that? It's you. I can see the light. They all covered up the microphones and kept going. So the last half hour was just me like, stop pressing buttons. Who did that? Can we let one person talk at a time? I despaired. And I don't think it made a brilliant impression on the counsellor either. How do you feel about chaos? Are you the sort of person who loves it? I have to admit that I love coming to church and being surprised. I love not quite knowing what to expect in worship when someone says or does something that's a little bit surprising. But I know, and I have discovered to you know, my regret perhaps, that for others, a bit of good order and uh, a little bit of um, predictability is comforting and is helpful. We have to read between the lines in our passage today to understand the problems in the church that Paul is speaking to. But if we do, we find that there is a whole lot of chaos. The Holy Spirit has been unleashed on this church gathering in a really remarkable way. And people are using their gifts as a foothold to elevate their own positions of leadership rather than lifting other people up. They're behaving as though their spiritual gifts make them, some of them, more important than another. And they're treating it as though the gifts are more important than declaring that Jesus is Lord. And over the last few weeks, we have heard how the Holy Spirit should be leading us to declare that Jesus is Lord. And from that flows a community where everyone belongs, everyone has a part to play, and where love matters more than any spiritual gift that we might put on display. And as we look at today's reading, the fact that Paul has to give these instructions at all suggests that there's another problem. People are turning up and talking or perhaps even singing over each other with songs and teaching and words of revelation and interpretations They're all speaking at the same time. And like those kids in that council chamber in Tottenham, the result is absolute chaos. If God is trying to speak to the church, then he's struggling to be heard in among all the noise. Now I know that there's probably one or two of you who are sitting there going, Well, that's all very interesting, Matthew, but what about the stuff about women speaking in church? I've been thinking about it for the last few minutes, and you're still not talking about it, which is a fair point. Verses 34 and 35 jump out at us, and it's really hard for us to ignore them. And if I just carry on without addressing them, you're going to be going insane and itching to hear what I'm going to say about them. So... I actually think that they've got a lot to do with the bigger point that Paul is trying to make. So let's get them out of the way. The verses, not the women, obviously. You see, because I think one of the reasons that they jump out is because they rub up so much against our modern sensibilities. We live in a world where men and women are treated as equals, or we hope that they are treated as equals but in this world where the early church was formed women were considered property of their husbands and where they had rare oppor- and they had very rare opportunities to speak in public at all so paul is in a way simply maintaining the expectations that are being placed on them by the rest of society and lots of people stop there this is just our modern pesky, sens- pe- pesky modern sensibilities getting in the way of doing what Paul is asking us to do. Women should be silent in church. Now, my problem with this is it's not just our modern sensibilities that cause that problem. These things stick out to us because we're readers of the New Testament. This is Paul. The man who said there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one in Jesus Christ. Who called on men to love their wives as Christ loved the church. He's the great church planter who enabled Phoebe and Priscilla to lead along with many other women. Just three chapters earlier, he's assuming that women are going to speak in church and gives every impression that women are included when he encourages us all to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. And that's not to mention Jesus and the regard that Jesus seems to hold women in. It seems so strange to be turning around and offering some kind of blanket ban on women speaking in church. So strange, in fact, that some scholars have concluded that these aren't Paul's words at all, and maybe he's quoting some people he disagrees with or that they were added later. But I don't really think we need to jettison these verses altogether to see that in the context, Paul's problem isn't with all women in all churches forever and ever are men. But there is something about the way that the women in this church are interacting which is causing a problem. You see, it's likely that if they were seated like they would have been in the synagogues, with all of the women separate to the men. And it's likely that the women wouldn't have been educated in the formal Greek that they were speaking. They would have spoken different dialects. So they might have had some questions or not understood what was going on at all. They may have got bored and ended up chattering. Perhaps they were interrupting and undermining other people when they were speaking. Perhaps even their own husbands bringing their own household conflicts into the church when instead they could have waited until they got home and asked those questions there. Whatever it was that they were doing, it wasn't building anyone up. Now, you might come to some different conclusions about these verses, and you are, as ever, encouraged to disagree with me. But the thing that seems clear to me is that as the Holy Spirit was moving through the early church, it didn't discriminate in who it rested on. It rested on all sorts of people from all sorts of different backgrounds, from all different parts of society. And they found themselves participating in this new community where they were all expected to live and work and get along together and worship together. And it was disruptive and it was unsettling. Like those children in a council chamber, it gave some people, a voice, who had never had an opportunity to speak in public before. And they didn't all use it wisely. And meanwhile, there were a few people who were very used to having all of the power and having all of being the only people whose voices were heard. And maybe they were knocked off their perch a little bit. So it created a certain amount of chaos. And there were people who were using that chaos as an opportunity to tear one another down rather than build them up. But there we go. In in verse 26, Paul insists, everything must be done so that the church may be built up. In fact, the word church isn't there in verse 26. The translators have slipped it in because that's what Paul's been talking about so far. But actually, he just says everything must be done for building up. Some translations say for edification, which is not a word we use every day. So I kind of feel like it's simpler to just say, everything must be constructive. Everything must be constructive. So Paul's message to the women and to all the people in Corinth is, if you're not going to say anything constructive, then don't say anything at all. Or perhaps, more bluntly, shut up so we can hear from the Lord. If we're turning up to church and our agenda is for our own spiritual giftedness to be on display, that's not building up anyone. If we're chattering away and interrupting those who are speaking, that's not building up anyone. If we're speaking loudly in tongues but no one knows what we're saying, that's not building up anyone. Instead, Paul says, take it in turns, give everyone a chance, but allow God to speak through the spirit allow some time to weigh everything up does this seem consistent with the god that we have encountered in scripture and in jesus christ does this build us up does it declare that jesus christ is lord let's have a little order so that god can get to work now today is pentecost as Uh, Rob has mentioned, and when we remember the Holy Spirit coming in, when we remember the Holy Spirit coming in power and kickstarting the church, and the apostles were suddenly given this amazing ability to comprehend a vast array of languages and to speak so that everyone who was gathered in Jerusalem could understand. They must be drunk, the people in Jerusalem said, and none of it sounds particularly orderly. So I don't think anyone is saying that the Holy Spirit isn't disruptive. In fact, my own experience of the Holy Spirit is that it's very disruptive. Disruptive in our own lives as we're challenged and shaped more and more into the likeness of Christ. And it's disruptive to our communities and more and more people are empowered to join us in saying that Jesus is Lord. I know that one minister who illustrated the work of the Spirit by firing a bubble machine above the heads of a room full of children. And if you've ever worked in a school and witnessed what happens in a classroom when it starts snowing, you'll have an idea of what that looks like. Utter chaos. So when Paul says God is not a God of disorder, of peace, but of peace, He's not saying the Spirit isn't disruptive. The Spirit is deeply disruptive, but is always disrupting us towards peace, towards God's shalom in the world. It's not chaos for the sake of it. It's disruption for the sake of building peace. It's taking things apart so that we can put them back together in a better order. If anything, it's because the work of the Spirit is so disruptive that we need to have some kind of order in the way that we worship when we come together. Um, I'm just wondering, how many people here remember a time before smartphones? I think it's probably most of us. How many of us have had a smartphone for more than half our lives? Mm, I don't know if I have. Maybe not. So we will all remember that there was a time before smartphones. There was a time before which we, before uh, when we couldn't just like, oh, I've got a question, I'll look it up. When we sat in the pub and had a disagreement and we all went away wondering what the right answer was. We had to go and find an encyclopedia or the Guinness Book of Records or something. But then this thing came along and it's changed everything. It's changed the way we communicate. It's changed the way we make friends. It's changed the way we shop. It's changed the things we value. It's changed the way we see ourselves. It's transformed the way our brains work. Because they're always just there, aren't they? Mobile phones. They're incredibly helpful. But if I'm sitting down and I'm talking to you, and I'm constantly checking my mobile phone, you will very quickly assume that I'm not interested in what you've got to say. Or if everyone that I follow on Instagram is presenting me with an unrealistic version of beauty, it's very quickly going to undermine my self-image or the way that I view other people in the world. So we need a little bit of structure to make sure that this incredible thing which has changed our lives doesn't undermine the very relationships that it's meant to be building. All of which is to say that the work of the Holy Spirit can be enormously exciting. It can change everything. It must change everything. But it's easy in that excitement to lose sight of the purpose of God. It's easy to go to church with an an expectation that we will experience God. And I do think that God wants to meet with us in surprising, sometimes chaotic ways. But the Holy Spirit doesn't exist for our entertainment. It's not like we go to the cinema and we have a good time, go to a gig to have a great experience. We go to church and have an experience of the Holy Spirit. That's not what the Holy Spirit's all about. The Holy Spirit's work is to transform us from glory to glory, to build us up and to build the church up. And it takes a little order to allow that to happen. So it doesn't get swamped by our own interests. It's true that sometimes that order is used to oppress people, to silence voices that we find inconvenient. But that's not the peace of God. So, whether it's through the songs we sing, through the teachings we hear, through words of prophecies that are spoken, words of encouragement in whatever language we hear them, when we gather, let's create space for the Spirit to work. As it transforms us and transforms our community. Where it can transform us into people who love wildly. People who build one another up. A community where everyone gets to take part. A community which is radically orientated towards the peace of God. A community where everyone is empowered to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord.